to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by Joe, who writes at Battle Red Blog. He was on the show last week to review the Texans' loss to Kansas City Chiefs. And he's here again tonight to review the Texans' loss to the Baltimore Ravens. How are you doing tonight, Joe? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It was a pretty day. Uh, it was a very nice day until I got back home, was able to turn on the second quarter of the Texans-Ravens game and, and catch back up to everything. And it it kind of was how I thought it was going to be final score-wise, but how they got to that final score was a lot different than um, kind of what I imagined going into this game. They're always creative. They always figure out how to lose in the most interesting way possible. Yeah. Well, so the Texans, they're 0-2 right now, and it's very difficult for teams to make the playoffs at 0-2. It's not impossible. 0-3 is usually impossible. Only three teams have done it before. Or I think it's four. It's three or four. And the 2018 Texans were one of the, one of the teams to pull that off. Um, and I'm like, I'm in the spot right now where I expected Houston to be 0-2 after these first two games, like going back into, you know, July or whatever. So I'm not really surprised at all by this, and I'm not... I guess like super concerned by it in that sense because this seemed expected. But what I'm more concerned about though is just like how li- how empty and listless this offense is and how uh, and how bad the defense is too. Like it just really has just kind of shown just the general decline of the defensive talent here as well. Uh, so are you? What about you, Jay? Are you surprised at all by this 0-2 start? I'm not surprised by the 0-2 start, but I am surprised at how unconfident I am in the Texans overall. Um, the offense has been, has shown little improvement since week one. It's still nowhere near. I was expecting it to be in at the start of the season and it's nothing like it was advertised. And unless they, unless they make a dramatic change in literally a week, cause they got the Steelers next week. They gotta, mm-hmm. they gotta write this ship fast. If they don't, then we're going to be entering territory where it'll be a miracle if we enter the playoffs. Yeah. Well, so what do you think is the biggest reason for the zone to start? Do you think it's like a lack of defensive talent? Do you think it's the play calling on offense? Do you think it's the fact that they don't know how to operate without DeAndre Hopkins? Do you think Deshaun Watson has been good enough for this team considering the talent they have around him? Uh, why do you think they're 0-2 so far? I think I think it's mostly the offensive play calling. I think it's like they 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 repeatedly tried to establish this, the run in this Ravens game. And it was just never working. I think I think um, David Johnson broke off one like nine yard run or like two five plus yard runs in the entire game, but they just kept hammering it down the middle, even though it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And this put Deshaun Watson in I don't know how many situations in like several third and long situations where he had to hope on one of his receivers to make a play, and it's just a terrible dink and dunk offense that doesn't take advantage of their strengths um did not take advantage of the time they had when they got down big um and it just it it almost screamed like they just weren't prepared to be in the position they were in and they were just they just weren't ready they just weren't ready for the juggernauts to hit them like they did yeah and that that's a great point because that's also kind of what we've 
been talking about for like two years about this offense with Watson, you know, or it's like it doesn't accentuate the strings, his ability as a deep passer, they don't run a play action, they don't get him on the move enough, uh, they don't use him as a runner often enough, they kind of use it for a crutch in certain situations. And uh, it's like we've been saying this for two years, but really the difference between those years and this year is this year is that the Texans don't have DeAndre Hopkins anymore. So they don't have like an easy source of consistent offense without him like getting open really easy in routes, um, giving Watson really easy decisions to make. And like I, I really think the offensive play going have been, has been flabbergasting. But like that being said, I do think part of the problem, though, is just like the talent that they have on the outside and just like the injuries going on with them. Or Brand Cooks is a guy who has to win with speed. If he's 90% as fast, he's not a very good football player at all anymore because he can't win. He can't body anybody out. He can't uh, create space. He can't jump over anybody. He can't win at the catch point because he's you know five foot ten or whatever it is. And so he has to win by speed alone. And so if he can't win go routes, then that kind of limits the offense. And Will Fuller has to win go routes. He str- he didn't get that many opportunities against Kansas City the first week, but they also didn't stress that single high safety. Uh, against Kansas City. They didn't do it very much against Baltimore again, too. And now Fuller has a right leg injury. It was out there playing just like for, for show, you know, just jogging up and down the field to occupy one cornerback. And so like without that outside threat and that speed on the outside actually having success, like it really has turned this offense into uh, slant routes to Randall Cobb, flat routes to Aikens and Fells, and like little quick hitches and curls and that sort of thing. And that's not a not the type of offense that you have to have with the defense backing them up, you know? No. And I mean, like, at least they got Randall Cobb involved this week. At least he was on the field and actually doing something, which was encouraging. And I don't know how long Brandon Cooks has had this quad injury that's been bothering him, but I was reading about it, and apparently it's been bothering him for, like, almost all summer, which is not encouraging at all, because we need him and Fuller to be 100% for as long as the season is possible. Because if they're not sprinting down the field and scaring defenses with their speed, then we have nothing like, I mean, if mm-hmm. our number one receiver at the end of the year is Jordan Akins or Randall Cobb, something went really wrong. So we need them to be fully healthy for at least the overwhelming majority of the season. And for both of them to be not at full operational capacity at this point is dangerous. And it's putting this defense, which is already suspect, especially in the run game. And not that that's something I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um, it hurts to hear that loud. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really suspect in the run defense, and having an offense like this is just going to make it worse. Yeah, well, and and it's funny too, like you mentioned, like Randall Cobb last week. We were like, where was he? And I went went back and watched the the coaches film when it came out last week, and he was out there. He just kept running juke routes and couldn't get open. And this week it seemed like he got open a little bit more um, after Taven Young got hurt for Baltimore, and so he kind of like whipping into like the fourth and fifth cornerback instead. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's exactly right. Like if Akins and Cobb are your best receivers, like you're you're kind of screwed as an offense. And uh, they really do seem kind of like stuck in this in this bubble. And this game is especially like, you know, Baltimore runs a lot of cover three on your know, first and second down rundowns. And so like, those are chances to hit the seam, hit deep digs, um, run like horizontal, like crossing routes to open up stuff like that. That play action pass that Cooks is a great example. He runs a deep post. He gets in between the corner and safety, outruns the safety and finds that gap right there. And, uh, and creates like the only downfield passing attack that game. And that was really the only time they pushed it downfield against cover three. And then whenever you play, like whenever you stretch the field out against Baltimore, they like to play like a lot of cover one, a lot of man. And then you're able to try to find matchups, you know, you try to find, um, you try to find Kenny Stills against this guy or Fuller against this guy. 
But whenever Fuller and Marlon Humphrey, you know, whenever Fuller and, and Cooks can't beat Humphrey and Peters, now you're looking at Kenny Stills, Cobb, and Aikens and Fells carrying your offense and David Johnson. And then that doesn't work very well at all either. And so they really are kind of stuck. And, um, you know, the play calling is bad. And it, they really didn't take advantage of, like, the throws available to them based off the defenses that Baltimore typically plays. But, like, that being said, I do think a lot, some of it has to do with the, the injuries on the outside, which really aren't that surprising. Me again with you know considering Fuller's injury history and also the fact that Cooks you know was hurt last year with the concussion, yeah. but uh, yeah. he hasn't had many leg injuries that that much in his career though too though. Yeah, I mean, I like you said, like man, if it's just it's 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 not surprising that they're both hurt, but I was not expecting it to happen this early, and that just makes it that much worse. And like you said earlier, the handful of times that we did throw it deep to cooks it worked he had like two or three completions that were like more than 10 yards and all of them were to keep drives alive and all of them put us in scoring position so the handful of times that we did throw it deep it worked really well so i don't know like you said that's probably an injury problem and i'm hoping i'm praying that it's gone against the Steelers because we are not going to be able to run against the Steelers are you kidding me we mm-hmm. are going to have to like the only suspect part of their defense is the passing game. And even that's probably better than Baltimore's, but I won't go that far. Um, but that's that's the really only part of the Steelers defense that is suspect. So we're going to need them to be healthy in order to even stand a chance. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, we, we need, we need them to be healthy and, Deshaun Watson has to hit them in stride, not like how he missed David Johnson in that deep route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one okay. hurt, and that was kind of that was kind of like the only miss I saw from him. And like, I do think the issue here is like I I do think the play calling has been you know disastrously bad, considering the defense that they have. But I do think one of the limiting factors so far has just been their inability to win those go routes on the outside, because that's supposed to open up the middle of the field for you know Aikens and Fells and and Cooks. Or, I mean, not Cooks, um, but Cobb and, and Kenny Stills and without that speed on the outside winning consistently and forcing teams to play two safeties deep and, and that sort of thing like they it hasn't worked at all so that blueprint there um doesn't exist and you know I and really like thinking about where Houston's at right now at Owen too like next year like this was like they've been stuck at this spot where they can't beat Baltimore they can't beat Kansas City they can't get past the division around the NFL playoffs and like they had their best chance to be a Super Bowl team since like 2011 with Deshaun Watson a rookie contract and they they blew it, you know. They blew these past two seasons by not getting enough talent back in for what they put out. They haven't drafted well. They haven't developed well. They haven't used free agency to add players. Um, they impact the roster very well at all either. And they've been and then they run this like conservative offense that doesn't really match Watson's strengths. And they didn't build a really great team around him. Go all in. And you look at what Kansas City did with Mahomes and what Baltimore is doing with Lamar Jackson. Even what um, Los Angeles did with uh, Goff to get to a Super Bowl. Like Houston didn't do that at all with Watson. And now now in year four, now about to be in year five, and whenever he's going to have like a $40 million cap hit, you're having to build a team without, you know, two first-round picks and a second-round pick to it because of the Tensil trade. And so they're they're really stuck at this wall. They've had a huge talent drain, and I don't see them getting past this at all. Like it's, they've got worse this offseason. Kansas City and Baltimore got better. And, uh, and now you're really kind of seeing the effects like start to linger on from those previous off seasons where those mistakes were made where now it's Watson's team. And now it feels like Watson is on the talent around him to actually do the hero ball that here, play the hero ball that he needs to play to get them past it. So I don't know. I think like, even if they turn the season around, they do make the playoffs somehow. 
um, and go nine and seven and pull that off. I still, again, like it's, it's a team that's stuck in, in the same spot. And I think it's been the most frustrating thing about the Bill O'Brien era where despite the AFC South championships and making the playoffs, there was still this like limiting factor with him as the head coach and him as the general manager. And now like we're really starting to see the cracks starting to break in the dam with this 0-2 start. Definitely, definitely. And Baltimore is a perfect example because they were 10-6 and in 2018 and, and we were 11-5. and And we both lose uh, our wildcard games. And... Um, See what see what Baltimore did in those two years, and see what Houston did. They mm-hmm. went to fourteen and two MVP quarterback, completely loaded on both sides of the ball. Now they did lose their playoff game, and we won, so we technically got farther last year. But well, they didn't. Year, they in the same spot because they both lost in the divisional round. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but this year, I mean, it's just Baltimore didn't lose any players. They, well, they lost Earl Thomas, but. They didn't lose any tremendously important players. They added Calais Campbell. And Deshaun Watson gets rid of their best offensive player besides the quarterback. And they add a whole bunch of veteran players that are questionable at best. And they do very little to improve a bad defense from last year. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just more and more cracks in the Bill O'Brien GM experiment that makes you even more worried about whether or not Deshaun Watson will ever get as far as he did last year ever again in the, in Houston. Yeah, I mean, he has a long career, but it's also, I mean, like you even kind of speculate, like, well, what this is, uh, this no Bill O'Brien future looks like. Well, it's kind of hard to, to see a GM kind of want to take on this, this situation, but they have the quarterback in place, and that's the, the, the key to having, like, a consistently successful offense. Um, so getting past, like, the macro aspects of this loss and, you know, and that sort of, like, future, you know, pessimism that's very easy to get roped into for this game specifically like you mentioned the Ravens last year they went 14 and 2 had an MVP season from Lamar Jackson in their last 15 games the Ravens are now 14 and 1 they have one loss to the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs and in that game the Titans won the turnover differential 3-0 they stopped Baltimore in every fourth down conversion they tried Baltimore Baltimore ended up going 0-4 and fourth down I think two of those were in the red zone too Um, they scored three touchdowns on each one of the red zone trips they they also had that really great outside run attack that took advantage of Baltimore's below average run defense last year and kind of really chewed them up, you know, took some shots when they needed to. Uh, like that really great touchdown pass that Tannehill made to uh, either Tajay Sharp or Cleef Raymond on that post route. And so like, they had like, that was the model to beat Baltimore. And so many things have to be perfect in order to pull it off. And the key about Baltimore is that you can't help them at all. You can't help them beat you because they're too talented. They're too well coached. They're too intelligent. And so you can't give them any points at all. Uh, Houston didn't do that this game. Kiki Cutie had the the fumble that got picked up in return for a touchdown. Marcus Peters had interception. The Ravens went two on two and fourth down. And the Texans still kept selling for field goals instead of uh, scoring in the red zone, even taking chances to go for whenever they had the chance to. Um, so, Joe, in this game, do you think Houston played well at all? Or do you think they just merely beat themselves? Um, I think the turnovers are a perfect example of them beating themselves. I think those turnovers where a perfect example of not doing what Tennessee did, losing the turnover battle and putting themselves in a big hole quickly. And that's how Baltimore wins. Both the games they lost in the regular season last year were against Cleveland and Kansas City. And it was because both of those teams got off to big leagues quickly and forced Baltimore to pass. Well, the opposite happened in Houston today. And Baltimore got off to a massive lead thanks to some turnovers and some big mistakes by our offensive play calling being way too conservative and blowing that fourth and one at the beginning of the game, um, Mm -hmm. which led to Baltimore's first touchdown. Uh, 
that's just that's the opposite of what Tennessee did, and it allowed Baltimore to to rest on their laurels, to run the ball like crazy, and just chew down this defense that was doing okay in the first half against the run defense mm-hmm. or, or against the run, but just were completely broken in the second half and couldn't and couldn't get the Ravens off the field. Yeah, and I know you mentioned in the in our production meeting, you know, with our producer and everything about that first drive they or that drive they had in the third quarter that was you know nine minutes or so and really kind of chewed the clock down and wore out that defense after they it did seem like they played well in the first half um so last week on the show i made a mistake and it's on me and i have to do better and i forgot to mention the coward punt the texans had in that game where the game was tied 7-7 against kansas city it's fourth and fourth the ball at the chiefs 50 yard line and they ended up punting that instead of going for it after that, the Chiefs scored a touchdown. It's 14-7. The Texans missed their field goal at the end of the half. But the Chiefs got the ball back, had three timeouts, come back, drive, kick a field goal, make it 17-7. They get the ball in the third quarter to start it off, and they scored a touchdown. It's 24-7. And so immediately, 7-7 becomes 24-7 because of one like really like completely stupid mistake that Bill O'Brien. It was like it was really similar to him kicking a field goal, you know, being up 21-0 in that divisional round two. Uh, whenever you're, whenever you have fourth and one, because you didn't have a good play call for that uh, situation when you're the head coach of the team and the play caller, which is absurd. And so this game, Houston made some more insane fourth down decisions. They went for a fourth and one, their own 34. They ran that same tight end drag flat play where Darren Fellis is the flex wing. And every single time you see Darren Fellis is the flex flex wing, you just be like, okay, he's probably going to run, run a roll out the opposite way and run the same uh, repass option drag flat. They ran that play. And they blitzed off the edge. Watson gets hit immediately. Throws it and fell at his feet. That uh, that play didn't work out. Then they also had that same coward decision. Down 23-10, they kicked a field goal in fourth and six at Baltimore's 18-yard line, then, which made the game 23-13. On the following drive, Baltimore goes for him fourth and one. Mark Ingram takes a direct snap on a lead play, runs tackle over uh, after the last scrimmage is fouled, scores a touchdown, makes the game 30-13, and it's game over. And so it's like you see that same thing where these fourth down decisions that Houston's made have really come back and bit them and, uh, and ended the game this time, changed, I think, the, the turn of events in this game uh, with that fourth fourth down decision in the game on the second one. And then that fourth down decision in week one completely you know, led to this mail in that game against Kansas City too. Um, so going to this, fourth, this first fourth down decision, Joe, did you like Houston's decision to go for it on fourth and one at their own uh, 34-yard line? No, I didn't. No, not at all. Because what it does is if you fail at the conversion, it gives Baltimore an opportunity to take a a large lead quickly and let them get into a comfortable spot where they can run the ball a lot. They can chew the clock and they get to play their game. If you fail in that fourth and one conversion, you give them an incredibly short field and give them the option to play their game, Mm -hmm. which is not how you beat the Ravens. They're too good to let them play their own game. And then the fourth and then and then on the field goal, fourth and six. In that position, we kind of had to because there wasn't much time left and we were already down by a lot. I, I, I don't like the idea of going on fourth and six, but you don't really have an option when you're that when you're down that much with that little time left. It was it was just he finally went for it on fourth, but in the worst spot. And then when he has an option to do it in a good position, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so I don't like I'm not entirely against the first decision. But I understand where you're coming from. My problem with the first one was the play call. Like that yeah. play works against teams with bad linebackers. It doesn't work against the Baltimore Ravens. It's it didn't a stupid work. Play call. Yeah, it didn't work last year when they tried to run that same play like seven times against them. Got crushed every time. And so like you have a whole year later 
and you're going to be against pretty much the same defense you tried again. They're sitting there waiting for it. And I think throughout this game, too, like all their rollout stuff, Watson, every single time he, he ran that fake, they were semi right there because they kept running that same tight and flex swing position. And Baltimore knows, like, when they when they do this, Watson's rolling the other way and then sit there and look for it. And Watson had to deal with pressure a lot of the time for it. But, like, if they had a better play call, you know, I wouldn't have hated the decision because of, you know, who they're playing against and everything. But just because of, you know, going back to that same stupid uh, decision again, it really, it really kind of, it, it drove me insane whenever I saw it. It was awful. It was a terrible play call. And like you said, they tried it a million times last year and it never worked. It's just, it's an example of the conservative play callers refusing to, you know, change on the run when things aren't working and just sitting there and just, just like, it's just terrible play calling and just refusing to change even when things aren't working. Yeah. And so the, I think the funnier decision though was the field goal. Cause like, all right, so they make the field goal. It's 23, 13 now. It's still a two-possession game. You gain nothing at all by kicking the field goal there. And the second issue, too, and I think one of the big things the coaches have failed to realize, or I guess two things. One is field position by going for it. So, like, if you go for it, the Rams have the ball at the 18-yard line. They have to drive, you know, 60 yards or whatever. Um, a good example of this is that Vikings-Packers game week one, where the Packers go for, like, on fourth and one at the Vikings' one-yard line. They don't get it. And now... You know, Minnesota's bought their own one-yard line. So even if you don't get it, you still come back with the short field game probably um, on the way back there for that one. But the other thing, too, that Coach Spiller realizes is that the other team gets the ball again. So like, even though even though Houston made the game 23-13, the score doesn't stay 23. Baltimore can score more points, you know. And uh, and you have a bad defense going up at this like you know this really efficient offense both running and passing the ball and so you're not going to sit there at 23 for the rest of the game and and it's like you're not kicking the field goal so you can go up after you score two touchdowns you have to get all the points that you can to come back and catch up and like I don't I'm not one of those like you know, hippies who believes in karma necessarily like I I mainly believe more in the fact that you need to give more than you expect to receive or take at all. But I kind of believe in karma now after them kicking this field goal. The Ravens going for them fourth and one. Uh, being up big like they were and scoring a touchdown like that, I thought it was absolutely hilarious and beautiful. And I really am happy that we live in the universe we live in. <laughs> You've embraced the madness, I see. Yeah. Well, and this but, is how it's been for like four or five years now. You know, <laughs> you, just have, you just have to go crazy with the team. Now, yeah, it's, it's more like Art Bell, like coast to coast now is how this podcast is. <laughs> No, I mean to put some like to put a little bit of positive light. Our defensive line did look better than the Browns' defensive line of last week, and that Browns' defensive line is loaded with talent. And ours is, you know, we got JJ Watt, and that's about it. So to look better than that Browns' defensive line against the Ravens last week, that is, I mean, we still lost, and they still ran all over us. But the first half looked good. So if if he can coach up that defensive line like that every game, then we won't be terrible at stopping the run. We won't mm-hmm. be awful. We won't be good, but we won't be awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the defense. We had some really great listener questions tonight that had some questions about it. Um, going back to the offense, I like we talked about like I think the structure is sick, and you know they pun their first down, they pun their first drive because they ran a slap flank combo. Where you have, like, you're, this is your decision in, like, a very important part of the game to keep a drive going and try to go up, uh, to try to take the lead to start the game off. 
And your your best play you come up with is throwing to Aikens in the flat, who has to break four tackles to get first down, and he gets stopped and is unable to convert. Um, the offense just like it's really they don't all these throws that Watson made, none of them were really all that easy at all. They were like him rolling out, having like double pump, you know, throwing in traffic, deal with somebody in his face. Uh, I can really only think of like six or seven really easy throws that he had, one of which was the David Johnson play where he overthrew it. And that one, I don't know if he just overthrew it or his miscommunication. It's hard to tell. I'll yeah, have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I'll yeah. have to go back and watch that next week. But like, it, it's sick. Like, they're not, they don't really have any consistent sources of offense. So, like, Joe, do you have any ideas that all the Houston create some like really easy, consistent yards? Because it does feel like for this offense right now, like every yard is very difficult for them to get. That's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking take more advantage of David Johnson's ability to be a receiver. I mean, he was he was really in 2016 and in 27 and 2018, I mean. He was a lot of his yards came from receiving. So, get him out flat, use the dump off passes, use Randall Cobb in a similar way, um, use more screen passes. I think every time they used a screen, it's worked pretty well this year so far. So, use those more. Um, but I like the deep routes, obviously, I, there must be some issue there because we've been doing it so infrequently. I think we should do it more. But to get easy yards, just get the ball in David Johnson's hands in open space, and chances are he'll be able to get five or six yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know like there was some talk on the in the Discord today about like, David Johnson like you know, getting interior rushes, and like again, I don't like him getting interior rushes, but. You know, David Johnson's not the problem with the offense. Trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson is is the problem is one of the problems of the offense. But the way Johnson's performed these first two weeks, he really hasn't been an issue. Um, I don't. I, I mean, I really think like for this idea of like consistent offense, like it really just ha- has to just start off with creating stuff down the sidelines, you know, and getting catches like that to be able to create more off man, to create more like easy curl routes, easy slant routes, easy out routes against off man coverage for. Um, Cooks and Fuller, and then from there, then you get to you're able to line up the box too, and then that creates easier throws to the middle of the field. But like that skeleton there just hasn't like been pulled out of the skin just yet. Like it hasn't fit, hasn't worked, and and again, like I don't know if it's if it's Fuller being hurt because Fuller was healthy last week, or if it's Cooks being hurt or what it is. But I mean, those two guys have struggled to get open these first two weeks, and it's not like you know Lejavius Sneed is a lockdown cornerback, you know, and uh, and like this week was a worse matchup, but you know the Texans play calling did a really bad job attacking, you know, the holes in Baltimore's defense this week. So I don't know. It's, it's like, it's even hard, like writing down this question, asking you it. I don't really have a good answer at all. It's just like guys need to play better. Their offensive line needs to play better. Yeah. Their receivers need to beat man coverage more often. It's just not happening. You know, it's, it's just, it's really confusing. And it, like you said, it's almost like they're an offense that's playing without their foundation. It just feels like they're kind of just making stuff happen as they go along. And it feels like there's no, there's no cohesiveness and mm-hmm. that's not a recipe for success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no, and it's like the plays don't really build off each other too. Like they try to do with that zone no. reach step, but it's like you're, so you're saying that you're going to make the staple of your offense, a six yard passing play. And then you're going to build things off around that. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> who cares? You know, we'll give you six yards. That's fine. We're not really concerned about that at all. And then we'll just wait until we get you in a third and long situation and blitz you to hell and you can't do anything about it. Um, and then, and both that qu- that question kind of goes back to what was asked by uh, Phil Johnson, MY, and he asked also, why does everything this offense look so disjointed and difficult? And again, I think it comes down to you know the the and we'll talk about the offense line here in a second, the blitz pickup issues, the fact they can't win down the sidelines and create easier throws to open up the rest of the field. And I think the last thing too, it's you know a lot of the analysis about the DeAndre Hopkins trade, it was mainly like what they got back for Hopkins and getting and getting you know Ross Blacklock. 
or the ability to draft Ross Blacklock, Brandon Cooks, and DeAndre Hopkins from that trade. And I think a lot of a lot of the thing that was missed by that is like what they lost by giving up Hopkins. He's the best receiver in the league right now. He creates so many easy throws. He's an easy source of offense. It makes things so much easier for Deshaun Watson. He's carried this offense whenever, you know, Ryan Mal was the quarterback here. And uh, and like he's been able to make that same sort of like he's been able to carry the offense even the Watson as the quarterback. And so I do think Houston really had no idea how important and viable he and valuable he was to this offense. And now they're having to try to understand not necessarily the new guys. So I don't think that's big of an issue, but it's like what to do without Hopkins. And they haven't figured that out. And I don't know if they're going to be able to this year, you know? No, I mean, they, he's making Kyler Murray look like an MVP right now. I imagine that Deshaun Watson is watching those highlights with Arizona and thinking, man, I wish I was Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray yeah. is great. Just DeAndre Hopkins is getting open. He's making easy, easy passes. It's like pitch and catch. And Deshaun Watson is running for his life as two of his best players are hurt and never getting open. Yeah, and he's probably also wondering, like, I could got $160 million here or there or over there, <laughs> and I'm here right now. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a hard spot for him. And so the offensive line, like, I have no idea why Max Sharping was benched. I came into watching this game late. I had to go back and catch up to it afterwards. And I don't know why he was benched. They brought Sunil Calamente, who has some sweet cornrows right now. And uh, it really seems like he just got back from Jamaica on vacation this summer. And uh, <laughs> they brought they brought him in there. And I don't understand it. Like, I know Sharping struggles with power rushes and that sort of thing. Um, but like to go from a guy that you invested so much into, he's played admirably at, you know, offensive guard. It really seems weird to mess up that continuity that hasn't really been, that hasn't been very good so far this year. Uh, but to mess up with that and then bring Calamente in was really bizarre. I didn't understand the decision at all. You know, I can, I, I was wondering if it was like an act of desperation, if they were just seeing Sharpen getting beat and, and just like getting busted and in, in rushes and just like we have to do something to give Watson more time or to open up room for David Johnson's. They just threw him, the other guy in and hope that things mm-hmm. would get better. But it, like you said, it's just, it's a big risk. A lot of those, all of those offensive linemen have been playing together through training as if they were going to be starting together. So you're messing with their chemistry. And I don't know. You just wonder if it's, if it was just like a freak out moment by the, the coaching trying to figure out what the problem is. And they just decided Max Sharping was the guy that was going to take the bullet. Yeah. I, I know coaches kind of do that too. They like look for a spark or whatever, but coaches love, they love to practice more than anything. I don't think they even like the games at all. They love to practice and they love looking for a spark. And maybe that, that was the idea there. But yeah, I mean like Baltimore's a hard front for Sharping because you know, Campbell weighs three thirty, um, or I think he weighs three fifteen. They have that guy, Sean Ellis, who weighs three fifty. Brandon Williams weighs like three forty five. Derek Wolf, Wolf weighs like 325. And so, you know, Sharping does have problems like really big, you know, offensive linemen and like he or a defensive lineman. And he couldn't play tackle at the NFL level after his college video, like right away. And so they moved him to guard and he was pretty good there last year. And it seems like the strength stuff is still is, is still an issue. Like he's still not strong enough to play um, offensive guard right now, too. But overall, like the offensive line, like in general, they've invested three first-round picks, three second-round picks, and $34 million this offensive line this year. And that's the investment like the Dallas Cowboys made in the early 2010s that created like a, a dominating offensive line that carried that team for like five or six years. That's the level of you know ability and performance they need from their offensive line, and they haven't got it at all. They're not physical. Like I watched this player, Tyus Howard, was pulling on, on Dart into Chuck Clark 
doesn't move him whenever he makes contact, and he outweighs him by 130 pounds, and it, it was absolutely embarrassing. They don't create vertical movement all that often. They're double teams. They fail again the second level. They miss blitz pickups all the time by like turning. Um, they they allow too many free rushers, and like, they win their individual pass blocking matches pretty well. But they just don't like they can't pick up blitzes, and it's been you know a year and a half of this now, or or like it's like when it goes going back to last season, so it's been you know. Uh, 19 games, 20 games of this, and nothing's changed at all. And it's still these same like little errors that Dural plays. Like so, for example, they'll have like a running play that goes for seven yards, but one guy doesn't stick on the linebacker, and now that play could go on for 15 yards, but instead it goes for seven because of this error here, you know. And so their their running game is consistently limited because of that, and their passing game is too because they take too many sacks on first down. And then you get Watson stuck on, on third and long situations and stuck during away because they can't pick up blitzes. And like the again, like I think that's kind of the, one of the big problems about these offenses too right now is that they need an offensive line that can win games because of not with, and they're not winning games because of it despite that huge investment they placed into it as well. It's yeah, I mean it's just. We're waiting for the moment for the Houston offensive line to become dominant. We're waiting for the moment for them to become number one because this is the year that all of our all of them have been in the league for for several for several months. They've all been playing together for several months. This is their full year together as professionals, and they should be competing against Kansas City. They should be winning matchups against Baltimore because if we want to go win a Super Bowl, we're going to have to play them again. So this they have to be winning these and, and and like you said they're a liability and it's 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 actually made me worry that maybe they're so bad that tim kelly has constructed these offenses these past couple games around knowing they won't be able to give lots of time and maybe he's running all these run plays and these quick passes because he doesn't think they'll have enough time so maybe he, his idea was really to have all these long developing you know launch the ball offense, but he just doesn't trust the offensive line to give Watson time. I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, it's it's time for them to show up and they're they have another really hard like test next week against Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I hope that's the case, but like I know in 18 that was why the offense was like it was, you know, because they screw with it whenever uh, Sancho Henderson got hurt in week one against New England. And right now, like I hope that's the case because that's just you know, you can do things to help protect your offensive line. But I think it's just like a philosophy issue of this team because Tim, O'Cal- Tim Kelly is just, you know, the boil on Bill O'Brien's neck or his third nipple or whatever as you want to call it. <laughs> and uh, and like they and O'Brien's always called a passing attack like this, you know, like he doesn't like to throw the ball downfield too much. He doesn't like to stretch the field. He only likes to do it whenever they're behind. He likes to establish the run. He likes, you know, getting short little increments. He likes to control the ball. He likes to keep his defense off the field. And so I think it's just like a philosophy issue. Um, with the play calling, like I hope it's this idea about the offensive line because you know there's ways that you can protect and help that. Um, but like regardless though, they're not getting enough performance out of their offensive line that they should be getting for the investment they put in here as well too. So Deshaun Watson this game, he was 25 of 36 for 275 yards. He averaged 7.6 yards an attempt. He was sacked four times. He threw one interception and one touchdown. Do you think Deshaun had a good game today? That's a good question. I think. I think he had a decent game, all things considered. Um, I wouldn't say he's the reason he we lost this game. The interception didn't help, but that ultimately, I think that's less of a bad play on Deshaun and more of a amazing play on uh, Marcus Peters' side. Yeah. But ultimately, for how how conservative and how obnoxiously boring and how obnoxiously bad this offense was overall, he was not the reason they lost. 
he made a few bad throws and ran around with the ball so much when he should have been throwing it away. But ultimately, I don't think he made any mistakes that really put his team in a position to lose. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, too. And I, I think he played well, all things considered. Like, that's a better way to, do, to, a better way to like, construct it. Like, considering the entire environment and ecosystem and players around him, I think he played well considering that. But, like, did he have a good game, you know, for, I guess, like, a quarterback playing the Ravens? I don't really think so. You know, like, I think he, I think he, like, he had to hit every throw. But again, like, I guess whenever you look at his box score and, like, what the numbers say and how Houston's offense looked, he didn't have a good game. But whenever you considered everything he was up against, like, I don't know how much more, how much more somebody else could get out of it considering the system, scheme, and structure and uh, the talent he had around him today, too. Exactly. I, I don't think it could have gone much better. Um, and it's kind of sad thinking of it like that. It's kind of sad. Like, this is the best we can do. Um, and the best we can do is 16 points. Uh, so that's not fun to think about, but yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's much his fault. He did annoy me a few times, but it, I don't know. I don't think it was my, I don't think it was his fault. Yeah. And well, and also going back to it, like you said, you know, like Houston wants to win a Super Bowl. These are the teams they have to play well against. And it's like, well, it's up to Watson to do so. And like Watson has to carry them against these teams because of the coaching issues and the talent issues. And the, I think the problem is that like the Texans aren't built or ready to play against these two teams. And it's up to Watson to do everything. And like the mm-hmm. idea here is that like with a quarterback like Watson, you should be in the same contention as these two teams. You should be mentioned the same uh, great. And like you should be in the same power ranking tiers as these two teams, but they're not because of everything else going on because of how this team has drained talent from its roster, how they've consistently limited Watson as a passer by with their play calling and structure. And like now here we are where I think the talent's stepped out so far that like, even going, even like winning in Kansas City, or even like being competitive with Baltimore, just seems like a complete you know mirage and something that seems like really unattainable right now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I guess one good thing that came out of this is that thank God we didn't have any major injuries. Like the major injury yeah. bug, like hit the NFL hard this week, and I was worried that I don't know. Titus Howard was going to go down with a torn ACL or like Will Fuller was going to break his leg or something, but no one, no one got hurt that bad this game, which is good. Yeah. And that's the thing we always forget about football too. It's like, it usually takes two weeks or three weeks. You're like, Oh yeah, everybody gets hurt whenever they play football. And even though we're really excited for certain things, it really kind of comes down to injuries a lot of times too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so this comes to a question from Luke Beggs, um, a personal friend of mine, friend of yours, I would say, yeah, everybody, everybody who reads Battle Red Blog and, and is associated with anyways likes Luke Beggs. Uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter at LBBP26. And he's currently an Overwatch writer. So if you like video games, uh, make sure to give him a read too. So he asked, are we starting to get to the point where playing with Bill O'Brien might just ruin Deshaun Watson? You know, I, I like to be... In, in, I, I like to be in Bill O'Brien's corner for some reason. I don't know if it's some weird devil's advocate thing or some Freudian thing that I got going on, but I like to defend him because I because the Texans had a lot of terrible draft picks from like 2010 to like 2015, um, and I was thinking like he just has a mess that he's inheriting. Uh, so I like to think that he, he he's trying to rebuild everything in these past couple of years, but. He's been in the he's been the head coach and now the head coach slash general manager for several years now and had tremendous influence on their roster decisions and enough time that they should be at least relatively close 
to Kansas City's and Baltimore's uh, roster depth and talent, and they're just not. So at this point, as much as I'd like to defend him for some weird reason, even though it's not warranted, <laughs> uh, he's just it's 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 really looking like he's actually weighing down the the offense at this point, and mm-hmm. I'm worried that because the Houston uh, Texans organization has entrenched themselves so much within O'Brien is that he will hang out here for another year or two, even though he refuses to advance with the, with the league and will be suffering for uh, like eight and eight and seven, nine seasons longer than we should. And we might waste Deshaun Watson's prime if he stays here longer than he should. Yeah. Yeah. And he really is like a Rasputin figure, you know, like you can gas him and shoot him and cyanide him and inject him. And he still keeps, you know, carrying on moving around. And, uh, and like, even like the, like that argument too, because that was one of the arguments that came out like defending O'Brien that, well, he took over a bad team that was rebuilding. Like the 2013 Texans were probably the most unluckiest team in the league that year, just from like a turnover uh, differential perspective, uh, difference between actual Pythagorean wins difference in one possession wins, you know, like they had an all time awful situation that year from a bad luck perspective, their quarterback fell apart. And then, so like they still had the, like the foundation of a really talented team, like a playoff team. And then you had a first round pick to in plenty of cap space. And like, they should have been a playoff team in 14 They make the playoffs in 15 and whatever else. And so like Bill O'Brien didn't inherit like a talentless, like wasteland of a roster, Like he didn't rebuild the Texans. He was just the guy who came in after a really unfortunate season. There's also a lot of injuries there too, with that uh, Cushing and Arian Foster getting hurt. And so I, I mean, like, I, I think the reason why a lot of people like O'Brien is because he's like that archetypical football coach where he says and looks and does the right things from like an image way. Uh, but at the end of the day, like he just he just is really limited though, and doesn't fully grasp like how to win games and how like be a great team in this sort of environment. Like he knows how to win games um, and like do the bare minimum, play a certain way to to be like you know, have a high enough floor. But he doesn't know how to actually develop a great team at all. And so I don't think he can ruin Watson. I think Watson's too good and he's too far like into his development to be ruined at all. But I do think he's can be ruined in the sense of like him actually like being like a like on a playoff like like a Super Bowl contending team, you know, for this year or the year after or, or however long it may go. So he knows what happens after this year, but for this year at least, you know. And so I, but I, don't, I couldn't see like Watson like having like a big downturn in his career and becoming like an average player uh, because of Bill O'Brien. No, I don't think so. I think, he, yeah, like you said, he's too good to be weighed down by a coach like that. So it just makes you wonder, like, who who could, what, who could the Texans potentially hire that could be the the new coach that would lift Sean Watson to Super Bowl in this. Maybe it'll be Eric the enemy. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's the guy. Like every single is like when somebody asks him who would you hire instead I'm like, yeah, Eric the enemy, it's easy. Done. Yeah. Get, let's get out yeah. of here, you know. <laughs> Adam Gates. Oh God. He's the, worst. he's the worst. <laughs> he's the worst. Can you imagine if if the if the Texans fire O'Brien and bring in Gates? Well, that's what that's what Rivers said. He was like, I think the biggest fear though is that if they do fire O'Brien, it's that they go to a headhunting firm. You have Cal McNair hiring a head coach, and he's just going to hire, you know, reach for like Marvin Lewis or um, like kind of how why Dallas hired Mike McCarthy or whatever else. You know, like you just yeah. kind of get another one of those figures who had success, you know, a decade ago, who's hanging out on the couch, and that's who you know he goes with because he saw that guy in NFL Today once. You know. <laughs> But oh, I, do, I do, yeah, I do think Watson's, you know, he's the a quaternity, you know, he turns the third into the fourth, he creates mystical experiences. I think he's too good to 
uh, be ruined by Bill O'Brien. But I do think we're kind of getting to the point where there's just been such a talent drain that it's become more, you know, really difficult for him to, to carry this team, you know, past even good teams with everything's going on. And uh, you, you kind of lose to the Steelers next week as well. Um, so defensively, the Texans did make more plays this game. They sacked Lamar Jackson four times. Why had two of his own. Baltimore went five for 14 on third downs. Uh, Joe, what was the diff- biggest difference on the defense between last week and this week against Baltimore? Um, they were they were respectable on the run defense, where they got completely busted by the Chiefs' offensive lines and Clyde Edwards-Alaire last week. They looked embarrassing against the rookie running back in his first game. Uh, but this week, they looked respectable. They actually played well against the, uh, against the Baltimore's run game in the first half. Uh, and uh, someone mentioned in our uh, Hair of the Dog Discord that uh, the reason that we sacked Lamar Jackson so much is because he hung out in the pocket during past, past plays. But we still got four sacks and five tackles for loss. So, I mean, that's a reason to celebrate with a defensive line that looked as bad as it did against the Kansas City Chiefs. So mm-hmm. we're getting pressure. The, the Baltimore's offensive line is nothing to sneeze at. So the fact that we got four sacks is really exciting. Every time Lamar Jackson broke out into a run, we were usually forcing him to the outside, and he rarely got more than a few yards in his sprints. So that's really exciting to see. It's a lot like what the, the Titans did in their playoff game against Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're learning, and they're improving. And we're not there yet, but the defensive line looked way better than it did last week. So if they can build on that, I'll be excited because Jacob Martin looked good. Omenihu looked good. Watt looked like himself when he didn't last week. It just, as bad as things were, that was a bright spot. They, they looked much worse in the second half, but a lot of the second half was just garbage time and them being super tired because Baltimore was on the field for like 12 straight minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have a problem with finishing drives, but overall they looked okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, this comes back to a question that at found of HOU Sports asked, and he said, thoughts to Anthony Weaver this far compared to Romeo Cornell. And this kind of ties into the point I was going to make about the defense this week. That I, really, I think the biggest difference was, you know, Kansas City got the ball out really quick last week, and they played and they played the Alex Smith offense. So they were playing basketball out there on Thursday night. But whereas the Ravens, I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's hard to tell, you know, without the all 22, but I guess Houston was covering well enough to force Jackson to hold on to the ball because the Ravens utilized a really great, quick and efficient uh, passing attack. And they, you know, scorched uh, Cleveland the week before, you know, with mm-hmm. their like quick passing attack. And it did seem like Jackson's holding on to the ball longer than you're used to seeing from him. And I, I do think the biggest difference between Cornell and Weaver's defense is Weaver has been really like exotic and really interesting in how he's manufactured a pass rush so far. Whereas Cornell would just kind of stick with like, you know, four or five different things and then really kind yeah. of move outside that as a pass rush. Weaver's trying everything he can. And, you know, God bless his heart, like with the talent he has available to him, you know, he actually did manufacture a pretty good pass rush today. I do think like the the numbers are kind of, uh, the numbers are skewed because it did seem like a lot of the sacks and stuff were kind of later on. But some of the blitzes were great. Like the one that got Zach Cunningham open was really great. Um, the one that got Omen Yehu is sacked, that was really great too. And I think Watts are kind of like, I don't know. I think they were kind of like long developing plays that were kind of empty. Uh, but, you know, sacks still count as sacks, you know. And I do think that was those two differences kind of uh, with the pass versus this week compared to last week. Yeah, yeah. Anthony Weaver, like he looked like he looked like a new style NFL coach that that like had new ideas, was not being conservative and was doing everything he can to create pass rush. So obviously, like within this Bill O'Brien coaching tree, they do have some good coaches that are not 
you know, sitting back and just doing whatever they were, they've been told to do for the past 10 years. Like Anthony Weaver was trying out new stuff and it was fun to watch. It was really fun to watch all the weird, you know, reads that they had and all the weird movements. And it was exciting. Um, and they looked way better than Cleveland, like I said, which was exciting to see. And mm-hmm. hey, we didn't get torched by the tight ends this week. So, woo. Yeah. I mean, I, Andrews almost had that one wheel route against McKinney, but uh, he had like two conversions, you know. But it really wasn't yeah. the same as what you kind of see from usually. Yeah. Yeah. They, they didn't, he did not look like Kelsey. And I was afraid he was going to look like Kelsey this game. <laughs> yeah. Last year, he looked like Kelsey whenever they played each other. And uh, he did look better this game, too. Also, I think this tackling was improved too like i know like the really big missed tackle was you, you mentioned that really long drive they had in the third quarter i mean what really kind of hurt him that drive was that cunningham missing that tackle yeah yep. on uh in the flat you know where he went high he got he gets dipped below and was able to get past the first down mark and like you know when you're paid 14 million dollars a year it's a play that you have to make and you, you um it's unfortunate that. he missed that one yeah mm-hmm. but I, I i do think the problem for weaver though is the same problem cornell had last year where there's just a talent issue on this team, especially on the yeah. defensive side of the ball. And it's like, no matter how crazy and wild you can get and create some free rushers, like the end of the day, if you don't have the talent to be able to play main coverage to blitz like that, um, it really kind of limits what you can do. So it'll be interesting to see what this defense looks like whenever they play, you know, Jacksonville, for example, instead of playing, you know, like the best offenses in the league. Yeah. I can only imagine that Bill O'Brien, when he got uh, Gary and Conley and Vernon Hargraves last year, he was thinking, these are former first-round picks. Let's see if we can coach them up to be as good as they are. Mm-hmm. And that just hasn't really happened. I'm guessing he was looking at that as two first-round picks when we got them. Oh, yeah, we traded had... we traded for, we traded our first-round picks for Tencel, but we got two new ones by making yeah. these decisions. Yeah, and it just, it just hasn't worked out. And... I mean, Eric Murray as a starting safety has played out about as well as he thought it would. Um, I think he's been okay. I think he's been all right. But he's he's not worth $11 million a year being your only defensive improvement, you know? No, no, not at all. I can only hope that Ross Blacklock and uh, who is the other, like, fourth-round guy we got? Jonathan Grenard. Yeah, Grenard hasn't played yet, which is sad. Yeah, yeah. I I hope that they end up showing up like first-rounders. Because if they do, then things will be a lot better. But, I mean, I'm wishing on a star. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Renard was a good, like, value third-round pick, but he's not somebody you're expecting to be, like, a Pro Bowl player. Like, he looks like Winnie Merciless, you know? And, yeah. uh, and like, solid and, like, somebody who can get – he's, like, a, a, a competent starter is a lot to give it out of the third-round spot. But, yeah, not getting anything out of Blacklock so far has been uh, has been hard for this defense who needs, like, every bit pass rush they can get. So for the Texans' defense – or I guess the Texans overall this game, I guess we touched on Weaver – Defensively, I don't really have very much to add. Uh, are there any nice things you can say like about the Texans? And I don't know if you have like a list of nice things like I have right here. Uh, well, like yeah, like we said, the defense, the defensive line looked much better. I like the improvement. Uh, the linebackers looked a bit better than they did. They they were like you mentioned at some point they were like worst in the league last week. I don't think they'll be worst in the league again. So they looked better. Um, Hargraves made a good play. Lonnie Johnson made a good play. Um, and the overall, the defense looked much better. So that's a good thing to say. No injuries, which is, well, I mean, you said Will Fuller, uh, has a right leg injury, but no serious injuries. So that's good. Uh, Brandon Cook, even though he has that quad injury, was able to get open for a few big plays. We got Randall Cobb involved. Uh, so the, everything about the Texans overall is better than it was last week. The defense has gone from like a one out of 10 to like a four 
and the Houston offense has gone from like a three out of 10 to like a five, I guess. So mm-hmm. like we've seen incremental improvement. It wasn't enough to beat Baltimore, obviously, but I'm excited about the amount of improvement the defense has made. And I'm hoping that the offense is going to throw the ball more because the few times that they did, it worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I, I can, I can get behind that. Um, the nice things I have to say I think Justin Reed had a much better game. And I think it's yes, cool. Like did. I kind of I like the aesthetics of him and Bradley Roby with their dyed hair blonde like that. Yeah. Like Roby had a nasty hit on Marquise Brown too. Like he coming did. from way off man on that drag row. And I'm like the five for fourteen against Baltimore in third downs is a really significant number. And like I think that and like they didn't lose the game today because of the defense. They lost the game because of the turnovers, the fourth down decisions and the offensive structure. You know, I think the defense yeah. did play well for, you know, three quarters or whatever. And that ever and then overall that the fact that we didn't lose the game because we were just a straight up, we just straight up sucked. It was mostly because of turnovers and a handful of big play decisions that went wrong. So mm-hmm. we didn't ultimately lose the game because we were awful. Like we did last week, we lost the game because of the, the pick, the, the fumble return touchdown and those handful of poor decisions, which if we can get over those is good. The fact that we were able to compete with Baltimore, potentially the greatest team in the NFL right now, for most of the entire game, that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. It's like I, you you need to take that statement, pair with some orange slices and Capri Suns. You know? <laughs> like uh, for effort. Yeah, yeah. I I think I saw Lion Johnson Jr. play some safety, which seems interesting. It seems kind of a uh, like a give up on him as a player at cornerback, which isn't very good. And also, like Lonnie can't tackle very well, and he can't play the ball very well, and he's not very good at being physical. So if he's playing safety, I don't know what you're going to do with him at all. I just thought it was interesting. It's not very a nice thing to say. Um, I think PJ Hall had a good game, and like he's like the Majin Buu version of Jadavion Clowney. And so like, <laughs> even though I miss Clown, as you know, I miss Clowney so much, but like seeing PJ PJ Hall do some things and like with the same hairstyle, at least like lets me imagine that. Uh, it was somebody else out there, but I think he's been a really good, like low risk, you know, low, uh, low investment pickup. Who's already played dividends. I'm glad Atkins is getting more playing time because he has athleticism can stretch the seam, even though he's not, they didn't use him to seam at all this game. It's all that same, like flat crap, you know? And it's funny because yeah. they use CJ Fedora. the same way in like 2014. They use Ryan Griffin the same way. Like Bill Bryan's used all of his tight ends the same way. Just, uh, yeah, run on the flat and catch a pass for five yards. It's a dump off option. And, that's really it. And I'm also glad, you know, David Johnson's still breaking tackles. And like, I, the Hopkins trade's awful, but Johnson looks better now than he looked in Arizona. And I really, mm-hmm. and like, the Texans didn't lose this game because of David Johnson. They lost the game for, you know, a wide variety of other reasons. And like, at least like seeing him break some tackles is at least good to see. Because um, there were some issues with Carlos Hyde being able to break tackles, you know, last year. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we're not at the position that I was hoping we'd be at the start of the season. Like last week was like a, just a, a shock to the system to how un, unprepared we look against Kansas City. But this week, I already knew that we probably weren't going to stand a chance. But we overall, like they, they subverted my expectations and looked better than I expected they would. So we're not at the point where that I was hoping we'd be before the season started, but we're almost there. So if we can get to that point before next week when we play the Steelers, then we might actually have a chance. Yeah, that's a nice way to think of it. If only progression <laughs> was linear like that. Uh, I, I, it is kind of interesting, though. Like It seemed like the first week, the offense was fine, and then they had that screw-up by punting, and then they fell behind 24-7, and the defense was awful. And then this mm-hmm. week, it seemed like the defense was like fine, 
but the offense is awful left and let them behind. And so maybe yeah. next week they can put together. So, um, but it does seem like they're probably going to start off 0-3, though. And then they'll have to beat uh, Minnesota and Jacksonville to kind of save their season. And then you play yeah. Tennessee week six, you know, to try to go back to three, 500, uh, uh-huh. which is which is really exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So we had some beautiful listener questions tonight. The first one's from at red underscore T Martin. And he asked, how is running on second and 15 not a fireball offense? And so this is in the second half, of course, when Houston was down. And they Howard had that false start penalty. They hand the ball off like an inside, inside zone play. David Johnson got like three yards to set, uh, third and 12. And the funny thing about that, this you know, this question from him and about that play is that for the the telecast going into the second half, the sideline reporter, I think his name's like uh, it's Melanie something or whatever. She's like, yeah, I spoke to Bill O'Brien at the half, and he said, you know, we really need to get our run game going in the second half. And I was <laughs> like, come on, come on, dude, like what are we even doing here at all anymore? You're like, why am I sitting here? Why am I sitting here right now? If this is what if this is actually what your actual thoughts are. Um, oh from your perspective God. and all this power. And so immediately, like, that's him trying to get the run game going. It's running an uh, inside zone play, David Johnson's second and 15, whenever oh. you're down by multiple scores. It hurts. It hurts. You know, I didn't see that. I, I must have been out of the room when she was talking. I didn't know he said that. Oh, my God. Oh, that hurts. That really hurts. Yeah, it was know. pretty I, there's, it was funny. There's, there's no way. The only thing, the only defense I can think of is it's second 15, and everyone's expecting us to throw the ball, so we're going to run the ball, and we're going to get a first down. And that didn't happen because they have Calais Campbell. <laughs> yeah, they Brandon Williams and Derek Wolf yeah. and, and Ellis, yeah, and they have a great linebacker core and one of the best front sevens in football, you know. I I don't know. I don't know. There's just the – he is just so determined to get the to get the run going. That it's almost funny. It's almost funny how many times they'll hand the ball off when everyone is screaming at them to throw the ball. <laughs> it's funny once you evolve past, like, I hope that, like, once you evolve past watching this team with, like, I'm very, really, really happy when they win, I get sad when they lose. Like, once you evolve past that level of consciousness where you're like, yeah, I like Bradley Roby's hair. That's really cool. Whenever you get to start <laughs> thinking like that, then you get to laugh about um, yeah. things like this. But if you're if you're in that other level of conscious, which is a really beautiful thing, like I wish I could live with my heart more like that as a sports fan still, but I can't. I have, I have trouble doing that. Uh, but if you're able to live like that, you know that sort of stuff would just you know make me put my head through a coffee table, you know. <laughs> Man, Justin Reed looks cool with that hair. Yeah, I liked it. I think it's kind of funny too, though that. Oh, they're playing football, which is a very violent game, you know, and they have like the the no more hate thing on the back of the helmet. I can't remember <laughs> the, the exact phrase, but it was like, yeah, while well, you're like trying to break a guy's leg and, and completely <laughs> smatter his body. I'm, I really like the juxtaposition there, though. <laughs> there's, a, there's a subtle art to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so next question is from at Uprooted Texan 99. As you know, on the website, the minister information, he asked, when you stare into the abyss and the abyss stares back, does it make a funny face when it does? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Oh, my God. You can have so many good conversations with the abyss if you just smile back. Yeah, I think that's what Bradley Roby's hair is, I guess. It's the abyss. You know? <laughs> or Lonnie Johnson Jr. playing, like, free safety. Maybe that's the abyss. Or Jacob Martin looking better than Jadevian Clowney. Woo! Yeah. Um, I can't wait to watch that the Titans game today. The next question is from at Texans underscore thoughts. Uh, speaking of Jacob Martin... He has, how would you rate the GOAT's ability to backpedal in coverage? Because I guess Martin played like a lot of hook zone today, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I don't know. He did he did all right, I guess. I don't know. I honestly can't tell you. I'm not I'm not very good at reading stuff like that. I think he did all right overall. I'm I'm happy with Jake and Martin's production. Yeah, I it's, wasn't it's, expecting it's much. really hard to see whenever the game's moving that fast on the television. But yeah. um, I mean, I don't know. Like if if he like again, I think his like ceiling is somehow like Elvis Dumerville. And like you know, I think the biggest problem he has is whenever guys get his hands on him, he doesn't know what to do. But he had like one nice run tackle I saw today, and you know that was cool. Um, I don't know. I miss you, Dave Van Klein, still though. So the yeah. next question we have is from at Smooth Grandma. He asks, since we only need players that are tough, <laughs> smart, and dependable, this is a great question. Since we only need players that are tough, smart, and dependable, which one of those attributes are currently attributed to making us lose these games? Uh, that's a good question. So are they not tough enough? Are they? Is it? What's yeah? What's the re, what's the reason for these two weeks? Is it because the tough part, the smart part, the dependable part? Uh, I'd say it's probably the smart and the and the dependable part. Uh, because we've seen a few drops, we've seen a few uh, you know, failing to get open. I don't know if that counts as tough or dependable when they fail to get open, and when there's a t- a dumb play call that they can't do anything with. Uh, so I guess that's smarts. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, say, you go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I would lost. go, I would go smart just because of all the fourth down, just like dumb things. But yeah. I guess yeah. if we're talking players itself, it may go tough just because I hate the offensive line so much right now. Just yeah. like how like weak their blocks are and how like lack of physicality that's there, how high they're playing, it just really upsets me every time I, yeah. I watch them play. You know, like again, I can't get over Ty Howard pulling on Dart. Has a one versus one Higgins Chuck Clark where he's square and he like falls at his feet, you know? And it's like, just come on, dude. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I have to side with you on that because I was thinking like, like our wide receivers haven't been dependable for Watson, but also yeah. like they've only been together. All these wide receivers have only been together for two games. So I don't think there's been enough time to develop like dependability. So it has to be the, the offensive line is like the one consistency on his offense besides the quarterback. So mm-hmm. they got they got to be tough and dependable, and they were neither. And they're not very smart either about the blitz pickup issue. Too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, and the funny thing about the the receivers too, it's like, well, that's the idea of dependable though. They come to practice, they work hard every day. We can count on them. And then here we are in the games, and we're like, well, you know, maybe they still need more time. And uh, you know, I don't think TSD builds you know winning football. And I've been saying like, what the T doesn't stand for doesn't stand for is talented. And so I think that's kind of the problem that we have right now. That Houston yeah. just doesn't have the talent they had, you know, two years ago. Even um, Smooth Grandma also asked, "Is the lowest point of the season? What, was this the lowest point of the season, or is it next week against the Pittsburgh Steelers?" Uh, I, you know, I'm gonna make my call right now. I'm saying the Texans are gonna beat the Steelers. I'm making the call right now. Quote me. I know I'm gonna regret this, but quote me. I think we're gonna beat them. So I think the lowest point is right now because next week the Texans are gonna come out. They're gonna throw the ball a lot. Deshaun Watson is not going to have a lot of time because the offensive line is going to look terrible against the the Pittsburgh defensive line. But he's going to he's going to find he's going to scramble he's going to find open receivers, and we are going to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And everyone's going to be like, "Are the Texans actually good again?" And the overall answer would be, "Yeah, the Texans finally you know figured it out. The defense got a little bit better. Uh, the offense finally found their footing. They were forced to throw the ball. They couldn't establish the run." 
Like, I think the only way to stop Bill O'Brien from trying to establish the run is if you literally force him to the best defensive line in football. And that's what's going to happen next week. And they're going to start throwing the ball a lot. And it's going to work. And we're going to win next week. I hope it sounds very nice, but I know they're going to run the ball a lot and everything else. Uh, I, I do like, I know I, I didn't watch the Denver game. I'm probably going to watch that game tomorrow night, tomorrow sometime though. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know at all. I haven't made my mind on Pittsburgh. I, all I've watched about Pittsburgh is I watched their win against the Giants. And it was just like, you know, beer, like his, his belly full of beer, Ben Roethlisberger playing beer pong and just like <laughs> throwing Dirk Nowitzki fadeaway passes. And their front like you- is... It's so yeah, good. He looks like Yukon Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> and like their front is just sick, you know? Like it's like it's unbelievable how many free rushes they create, how hard they hit. And like watching Bud Dupree just like close the space in an instant on any sort of play action pass is unbelievable. And you can't pull at them at all either. Um mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have I don't have an like. opinion yet. Yeah. No, it really is like how 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 quickly he closes the gap. But the difference between Dupree and Clowney is that Dupree makes tackles for losses and sacks and quarterback hits and fills up the box score to, to uh, make people be like, yeah, he is actually good because I checked the page and he had 12 sacks. So he is good. Then um, the next question we have here from smooth grandma is who is leading the voting to replace our favorite big play, Barca- big play Mingo player. So I still have this post to know my wall, uh, big play X. And this joke came up last year, whenever uh, we saw Bill Car- Barcavius Mingo make any play, whether it was a special teams tackle or like a garbage time, you know, like pass defense or whatever. We'd all yell, you know, big play Mingo. And then he ended up blocking <laughs> the pun that Kansas City game. I'm, I don't have a guy yet. I've, it's all on my board. I've been thinking about it. I've been looking for it. And right now, I think it may end up being A.J. Moore, just as like the fourth safety you kind of see over there who's made some tackles. Uh, but yeah. I it, it hasn't felt right just yet. I think we're getting there, but I'm leaning towards A.J. Moore, but it's not there just yet. What about you? Yeah. Do you have a big play guy, like an underrated big play guy you can get excited for? Uh, not yet. I'd like to think John Reed because I like that he was already on the field in that Kansas City game. I didn't see him at all in this game. I imagine he played at some point. I didn't see him. But I'd like to think that John Reed will have a few like clutch breakups or maybe an interception in a big game at some point. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I think he well, I think he played last week because Johnson Jr. got suspended for, I think, tweeting before the game because he had that tweet <laughs> that was like, we don't talk online. We talk on the field. And you're like, Lonnie, you're talking online right now by posting this snap. <laughs> and so I think he got benched the first half last weekend. Oh, man. Uh, he was out there. Instead of, yeah, it was kind of funny. And he had like the, oh, the emoji man. with the zipper mouth or whatever. It's like, Lonnie, you're talking right now, dude. <laughs> so, you know, but that was fun. Um, uh, that's staring into the abyss right there. Yeah, that's another good one. It's it, like if Houston keeps getting worse, they fall to 0-3 and, and stuff. It's not going to be fun, but the jokes will be better, and uh, the time we spend together will be a little bit funnier, though. The next question is from... Yeah, it's all about having fun with your friends. The next question is from at fan I know, and he asked why, just why. I don't know. Like, this is just what we do, I guess. I don't know why. And I'm mad at my fat 12-year-old self for, you know, getting a copy of Madden uh, 2001 and wanting to play the Texans because they were the expansion team in there that you could play the year after a dynasty mode, and and getting sucked into this nonsense, you know? <laughs> that that way, I was the moment that, like, the football gods determined your fate with the Texans. Yeah, Black pretty much. And um, not having, like, a team, like, growing up in San Antonio, I mean, like, well, I like the Packers, I like the Rams, and just, like, liking certain teams as they popped up, and not having a team, and wanting a team, and Houston coming around at the exact time, you know? <laughs> Man, you, you know how it is. You know the Texans always, you know disappoint you and then surprises you in a couple weeks i mean 
every year we've had a few games that just we just look terrible. The Denver game last year was an example of that. That happened way later in the season. But I'm hoping that the Kansas City game was the awful game of the year for us. And there was no chance we were going to beat this Baltimore team. So I'm hoping we're going to see the actual Texans now. I hope mm-hmm. that these two games were the just get the yucky out of our mouth immediately. And now it's time for us to show how good we actually are. So that's what I'm banking on. But I mean, it's just, you know, it's just the Texans way. It's suffering is the Texans way. Yeah. I, I like the way it sounds. It sounds very nice. You know, I hope that's what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of the funny thing about this loss today where it's like, again, let me talk about the beginning of the show. Like Owen two wasn't uninspected at all, but I think it was just like how like, empty this ONC was and also like you say about like Deshaun Watson on the sideline with his head in the towel and looking just like an orphan dog you know <laughs> it was just really heartbreaking the whole time yeah well, it was so sad he was just like you could you could see in his eyes that he had given up that like like mm-hmm. the excitement of that game was completely drained in those mm-hmm. last moments and like like that full like that entire week just led up to that sad face yeah, and also like being so excited all year to play football and get ready for the season. This is what's happened so far. Yeah. Uh, the next question is from at found of HOU Sports again, and he has good scouting from Kansas City, Baltimore. And I, I think so. Like Kansas City knows how to play Houston, and you kind of saw that like how boring their offense was week one. And Baltimore, I think their defense just knows kind of how to stop. And we talked a lot about that tonight. And uh, the next question is from at Phil Johnson and Wygan. And he asked, does Bill O'Brien overcorrect from this week and run uh, the hell out of the ball against Pittsburgh next week? And like you said just now, like you don't think they're going to run the ball a whole lot. I hope they don't. Um, but, you know, it is the Texans. They love to run the ball. And I'm expecting they're going to try to again next week, you know. I think they'll try. I think they'll try. And I think and I think uh, David Johnson will break like a few first downs and Bill O'Brien will fall in love until halftime. But there'll be a point where like Bud Dupree, TJ Watt or Cameron Hayward will be swallowing uh, David Johnson every single time he tries to run through the A gap. And I feel like at halftime, Bill O'Brien's going to be like, okay, this isn't happening. We have to throw the ball. We're just going to yeah. use David Johnson as a receiver because he can be a receiver. And that's why I was so excited. Like as the weeks went on and we hit August, I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be great because David Johnson's ability to play as a receiver will force Bill O'Brien to get out of his established the run craziness and actually use his receivers to their talents. And that hasn't happened yet, but I feel like, I feel like the Steelers defense will be the thing that shocks him into, yeah, let's just use David Johnson as a, as a receiving back. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I hope so. I, I do. Like, and I guess the other good news about next week too, it's like, you know, the Steelers offense, you know, they score about 28 points a game, 21 points a game. And, you know, so it does seem like Houston can maybe score, you know, 24 points. They haven't done it yet, but I think they can maybe score 24 points. And maybe next week that would be enough against uh, a Steelers offense that hasn't really taken off just yet either. No, no. I mean, like, I mean, if you guys haven't seen the Denver game yet, watch it. Denver with a hurt quarterback with Jeff Driscoll may was able to throw all over the place. Two touchdowns. Um, and the offense on Pittsburgh's dive side was mainly non-existent for most of the second half. So if Denver was able to come back and make an exciting game out of the Steelers by throwing the ball a lot and the Steelers offense completely stagnating for almost half the game, 
then I think the I think the Texans can. If Jeff Driscoll can do it, then Deshaun Watson can do it. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, yeah. well, that's good. I like to be I like to be optimistic. I, I like yeah. I like I like, to put a I like smile on this. yeah. I like ending that like whenever we end the show. Even if like Houston falls to like two and four or something, we can still end the show with some of this really nice stuff. It is. It does feel good to make it. Uh, make next weekend seem even brighter. But so that's gonna be our show for tonight. Thank you for listening. Make sure to to like, kiss, love, laugh, you know, eat, <laughs> uh, share, share the podcast, however it is that you listen to it. And we'll be back on later this week. Maybe we'll be able to do a Steelers individual preview. And not we should have at least an episode on Saturday morning, uh, previewing week three of the NFL season. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell Rig Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, Joe. Yep, no problem. Thanks, guys.